today we're going to talk about talent acquisition. Today, there are more than 10 million open positions in the U.S. and 5 million people looking for work. Your company is not only competing for those in play, but for top talent that could be convinced to consider a new opportunity. So we called in an expert. Welcome to the Voices of HR podcast presented by HR Morning. I'm your host, Berta Aldrich, a performance coach and author of Winning the Talent Show. Each week, I have candid conversations with HR practitioners, thought leaders, and C-suite executives to tease out what works and what doesn't in human resources, people strategy, corporate culture, and more. My guest is Chris Ann Bowden, Senior HR Consultant at iHire, a leading platform that brings candidates and employers together in 57 industry-focused communities iHire connects more than 103,000 hiring organizations with over 17 million active and passive job seekers quickly, easily, and cost-effectively. Chris-Leanne, we're excited to have you with us today. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right. So we're going to start right off. Let's start at the beginning. A company has a key open position. The business, of course, is looking for the best candidates. Walk us through your best practices so that you get the right high performers to stop and consider the the opportunity and then engage with you? Sure. Good question. And, and that's a question, unsurprisingly, I do get um, from time to time. One of the things I think employers need to really focus on is as important as that key position might be, don't rush to get a job post out before you've kind of done your homework first. I really want to make sure that whoever is in charge of hiring this individual maybe even be your senior leadership team, is spending some time like hashing out what they really want and identifying the core key components we need from that individual. That gives me a chance to, to do a little research on you know, how we might want to find that person. While that's going on, uh, one thing I like to do, and, and I'm sure that the marketing folks out there hate me saying this, but I, I like to engage marketing too, just to take a kind of big picture look on what would it look like if you were a top performer in an organization who was sort of getting an inkling that maybe now was a good time to look, and um, how would they be viewing us if it was really an individual that would be the person we would be hoping to draw to our organization? So, um, you know, as much as we are in the HR world, pretty good at identifying trends and what employees are looking for. No one really does it as well as marketing people. And they'll find some things and help us hone our job post to, you know, be geared towards what that definition of our of our top performer we're looking to bring on board might look like and how we can find them. I love that because if you can partner with the people who can best tell the story, mm -hmm. I suspect you're going to get the right people to engage. That's and correct. that's exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. So marketing teams, um, Chris Ann is all for you. Um, so earlier <laughs> in 2023, you know, some of the largest tech giants announced layoffs, Google, Microsoft, mm -hmm. you know, really good companies that employ smart, talented individuals. And I think I, I read, you know, about 50,000 total. And I think there's, there's certainly more to come. Around the same time, the airline industry reportedly grounded, um, a, a planes almost for an entire day mm -hmm. due to technology issues. Mm -hmm. So is it a viable expectation for companies to target or encourage those from other interest industries to apply? And are you seeing that as an opportunity for companies today? 
I think that that's been going on quite a bit. Um, you, you, you mentioned early 2023, and we know that there's been a big upheaval with a lot of large, large organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but even during the COVID era, we were starting to see a lot of career jumpers, um, people who'd been doing something. That, that, you know, The easiest example of that were the teachers and the nurses. Um, so what do employer, how can employers benefit from something like that? And now we see what would be, we could maybe consider the next wave of that, right? Where people who worked for an airline or a big tech company find themselves out of work and after going through what they went through, maybe will feel like they want to try something new. It's a good opportunity to realign um, skill sets. So one of the things that I talked to an individual just um, just last week, actually, who was doing sales in software. And he explained how beneficial it was for him to hire teachers because a big part of selling software is helping your buyer have a good, clear understanding. And, you know, as much as I've done recruiting for for many, many years, and you can look at me, you can tell I'm not new at this. um, I had never made that particular connection. We were aligning teachers with customers, you know, customer service type work and things like that. But he, he did explain that they were really adept at learning the ins and outs of the software and explaining it to people. So, you know, um, you have to look at what transferable skills might come when somebody leaves the airlines. Um, I think that's, that's really strategic, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, teachers, there has been a mass exodus. Yes, there uh, has. Post-pandemic. Yeah. And, and and I'm not going to be surprised that we don't keep seeing this with the airlines too because of the stress level. But what's the benefit to any organization who has maybe some particular roles that do also have high stress levels? So Absolutely. We know those individuals kind of have the grit to be able to handle people sometimes. So. They, they absolutely do. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, people are burnt out um, from the pandemic. And I do think the good that will come out of this is that people are really thinking about their purpose and where they want to put their energy and their time Mm -hmm. and their talent. And people are thinking differently about their careers. And I I love the idea that employers should also think differently about the talent that they bring in the door. So you are a strategist. And one of the things that I talk about all the time with my executives that I coach is strategic agility is absolutely necessary as you continue to ascend in the organization. That means for HR, uh, for, for any mid to senior level executive position. So as someone who sits in, in that senior level seat, how can HR think more strategically about finding and encouraging top talent to apply? Um, Mm-hmm. Th- thinking about uh, so let me let me just tee that up and, and send it over to you. What do you what do you think about when you think about strategically encouraging employers to do that? I think the most important thing when you're looking for top talent, so those high performing individuals, um, they know their worth. But I also think that leadership in organizations sometimes feels that throwing money. <laughs> in their direction is what's going to entice them. And that era of a salary being the only thing that, that's going to draw somebody to your organization is, is way over. So you can promote your culture. You can promote your DEI initiatives. You can offer top-tier benefits, et cetera. If you're not backing it up, 
that top talent will find out. So we ha- we do see people, I think, focusing more and more on what's this organization like that I'm going to? What are their values? You know, I um I have had candidates for high level positions talk to us about where we're where we're donating money as an organization. Where you know where does that go? What does that look like? And it's not that they're trying to, like, to find a gotcha thing on it. They just want to get a flavor for what does this company stand for? Do we do community events? You know, are we really hands on, or do we just strike big checks to big com- to big nonprofits? So, um, those are the kinds of things you really want to take a, a good look at and put some planning into, and do that convincing with your leadership team that it's not just about we don't ha- it's not just about us being in the seventy five percentile tier of salaries across the board. You can be in the 50 percentile, but if you're proving that you're a good organization that values your employees, um, who's giving back to the community, et cetera, that's typically something that gets you ahead of time and it gets you ahead. And, you know, I, I don't hesitate when I, ha- when I make what I know is a really good hire, wait a couple of months and give them, just ask them to put 30 minutes on their calendar and talk to them. Like, what made you decide to come here? But even over and above that, did we live up to that? Mm-hmm. Did we live up to that expectation? And, you know, you want to be encouraging with them to be really honest about, did we live up to it? Because mm-hmm. if there was an area we didn't, then that's where I know we need to make some improvements in work. Yeah. And I guess that that really lends to the topic of onboarding and retention. Um, within organizations, you know, because there is a lot of effort now put into the front end of hiring. You know, it really has become, it could become a very transactional process if companies don't engage in the right way. And you actually recommend maybe a segmenting might be too strong of a word, but if, if you have a really good candidate, and let's say you have a, you know, 10, 20, 50, 1,000 people apply. We heard that yesterday. Someone said, yeah, there's some companies, they get 1,000 apply for a position. How do you recommend a company engages with the top talent that they really want to see get in the door? Gotcha. Well, you're not going to like the answer because the answer is it's, it is some work. Um, you know, as much as I'm with a SaaS company and believe in and love tech, there is a little bit of, of um, manual work that goes into something like that at one point. Um, first of all, anybody who knows me knows one of my catchphrases is onboarding begins at the job post. So mm-hmm. I do always encourage, like really make sure you're reviewing your job post template every three, four, five months. What's changed? What are we reading that maybe we want to make sure we add or do we want to change the, the language in our DEI initiatives a little bit to make sure it's covering everything now. Um, So that's an important piece of advice. But from there, we have such great tech tools to help us vet through candidates. And you're right. You know, we do put job posts out there that we get hundreds of applies. and And the reality is I can't spend 10 minutes on every resume. There's Mm -hmm. just not enough hours in the day and not enough hands on deck to do that. So, um, you know, you, you need to rely on whatever tech you have available to you to help kind of narrow that down to candidates who at least are reasonably um, qualified. Now from there, every resume, in my opinion, gets a, gets a set of eyes, whether it's myself or someone else for at least briefly. 
um, just because there may be something on there that helps them stand out to you that you might not have caught otherwise. And it's okay for the ones that you look at and you can tell, yeah, this is not going to be a fit to just use one of your template reply features. But from there, when I narrow it down to what I like to say is probably my top eight, nine, 10% that, that I really want to make contact with. Um, I do have templates, but I go in and I edit the template. It, and it doesn't take as long as it sounds, but you've looked at the resume, you've spent that time, you pull up that template. I like to add a line and you can customize your template to make this easy, like with a blank space in there already to say, I saw in your resume, you've previously worked for an organization that does X, Y, Z, whatever that, that aligns with your job. Or I'm, I would really be interested in hearing more about what led you from an education major down the field of human resources. Mm -hmm. When a person gets something like that, they know you read their, their resume and it does stand right. out to them. And it's just, it definitely, if they've got three or four companies and you're the only one that's customizing your response, that matters. The other thing I would tell you, if you get that candidate that just knocks your, knocks your feet out from under you, there's one thing that nobody remembers anymore, and that's that we do have a telephone. Now, nobody's going to answer, <laughs> okay, um, if they get an unsolicited call from sure. a number. Like in my case, it's from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and people are like, what the heck? Who's trying yeah. to sell me something? Right. Um, but you can still leave a voicemail and do the same kind of thing. Hey, Berta, I got your resume today, and I am so intrigued to hear about what led you down the coaching path. Um, if I could get a few minutes on the schedule, that would be great. I'd love to hear a little bit more and talk to you and, and learn a little bit more about you. I've also sent you an email to make it easy to reply. Honestly, more often than not, people call me back pretty quickly, but sometimes people are just more comfortable with the email. It just gives them that heads up to look for it and why you're looking for them. I find a really good success ratio with my top talent when I really just focus on them personally, make sure they know that I did read their resume. I, I love that because in the, in speaking of marketing in the marketing world, you know, personalized messages at one point mm -hmm. were 11 times more likely to be read and four times more likely to be acted upon. Yep. And so bringing that into the recruiting world is absolutely a necessity if you want to stand out from the competition, because you have to remember if they're looking, they're probably considering other options as well. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you think about diversity, mm -hmm. equity, and inclusion, when it comes to recruiting, you know, that's one area where most companies are looking to improve, right? Yep. And one of the most pronounced pieces of data that I found um, in my research is that companies are hiring for diversity, then expecting those very individuals to adhere to what I call mm -hmm. entrenched rules of conformity thus right. mitigating the value, the very value that they bring to the organization, mm -hmm. meaning we're hiring them, but then expecting them to conform to the culture or to the actions or to the values and behaviors of the organization. So give us your expert thoughts on how companies can increase their chances with diverse candidates, not just in hiring, but retention as well. Sure. Well, you know, obviously your diversity initiatives need to be well thought out, well prepared. So you're working with your leadership team within your organization, but you're also getting um, feedback and engagement from your staff in general. I would say, you know, at iHire, what we have is we have a, um, it's called the IDEA Committee. It's a diversity and inclusion committee. And we, people from all over the organization are part of that. And we then engage with our senior leadership team. A lot of the folks on our diversity committee 
are diverse themselves. Mm -hmm. So they're able to give some feedback in a really safe way that helps us define and drive those initiatives and make them very public within the organization and externally too. Mm -hmm. But um, Bert, I have to say, I think you, you said something in your, in your remarks there that really stands out. We have used the phrase culture fit for so long, right? Mm -hmm. And what that means is, are you going to come into our organization and act like everyone in our organization? This is who we are. Um, for example, at iHire, we're a pretty casual company. When we're in offices, there's really no expectation of business attire or anything like that. There are people who come from cultures that that wouldn't feel natural to them. Right. Um, you know, they may feel more appropriate in a button-down shirt and ironed khaki pants and polished shoes. And if they walk into the office and people start saying, oh, we're not like that here at iHire. You don't have to. We're not like that. If that's the culture, then you're asking the person to not be who they are. Mm -hmm. That's a real simplistic example, but there's even more complex ones that I think organizations, when you're looking for not a culture fit, but a culture add. So mm. how can this person bring some new things to us, teach us new ways to be? Is it a communication style? Is it a um, focus that they may have that comes from you know their culture? Um, one of the things that I learned recently doing a DEI training was organizations mm. may want to look really closely at their bereavement leave policies. Why do I say that? In some cultures, families are very small. Family circles are very small, actual blood relatives. But there's a circle of community people that are very involved with somebody, perhaps from birth. And if one of those individuals passes away, we, we require the person to use PTO. But to them, this is like immediate family. This is my, this is my aunt, so to speak. But because they're not a blood relative, they're not treated the same. I have seen many organizations add to their bereavement policies, close personal friends of the family. That's, that's an interesting thought because mm -hmm. that is really pulling the thread of diversity into your organization and mm -hmm. really harkens back to the question around retention, right? Mm -hmm. Because if, if, if I had to use maybe some of my PTO and let's say I already use my PTO and this person was incredibly close to me, mm -hmm. that's something where I could either become much more loyal to the organization or not right? as a diverse candidate. Exactly. I love that. That that's definitely, and I love the culture ad instead of becoming the culture, because you're absolutely right. We aren't really, most organizations really have the best intentions in mind when it comes to diversity, but we don't really know how to treat people once they're in our organizations. That's right. To leverage the value that they bring to the organization. Mm -hmm. So speaking, so let's, let's keep talking about diversity. So I was reading, I think it was last year, there was a Wall Street Journal article that today 1.5 times the number of women are graduating college than men. Yeah. And through some of the research, I also found that more black women are graduating college than ever before in history. Mm -hmm. So women are entering the workforce. They're a force, mm -hmm. um, but they also have headwinds when they head into today's workplaces, which yeah. is why my book, I think, has been so helpful to women across the globe. So as an expert and as an executive woman who also mentors women in the mm -hmm. workplace, 
What advice would you give to women who are considering the next opportunity or thinking about applying for a job, maybe that they feel is a little bit of a stretch? Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, you just used the word mentor, which is my, my absolute <laughs> favorite word. Um, I do think women need to learn to ask for mentors and be mentors. Um, you know, frankly, I think that women are great at it. And, and I've seen some powerful things happen, but I don't think that it is necessarily something that happens as naturally as happened with men. Men don't necessarily even just discuss it. It just kind of happens where mm-hmm. women, we get, we get busy with our own lives and we also don't necessarily like to ask for help. We feel, no. we feel humbled by asking for help, right? We do. Like I should know this, but I also have seen, and, and I will tell you, I feel this myself. When I get a chance to mentor someone, I grow so much from it too. You do. So, you know, looking out there at the women who are maybe five, 10, 15 years, your senior who they've, they've, they're further down the path than you are. Mm-hmm. You can definitely look to them to partner with you. Um, and I've even seen some organizations create mentoring circles for women. So maybe it's small teams within a specific part of the company or, or larger teams where women get together and just talk about what their, uh, you know, hope streams and what maybe some of their hurdles and problems are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we have to remember something really important too. It's, I don't know if you've heard this statistic, but for eight consecutive years now, um, we have what we're calling like the broken rung syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. So like for every men, every 100 men promoted out of that entry level role, only 82 women are. Correct. So every rung of that ladder, that same kind of statistic keeps perpetuating itself. And as you get to the top, it's smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. Within organizations, like what is it that we're looking for when we pull somebody out of an entry-level role into that first management position? And why are we making a decision the way we are? Um, is it potentially like somewhat of an outdated criteria that maybe could be a little more balanced and and make those opportunities more fair for women. We know certain things about, especially women in entry-level jobs who are maybe earlier in their career really struggling with work-life balance. When something like a family emergency happens, they tend to be the one who steps up to take care of it, sick child, et cetera. And they're just trying to get through that. But the skill set that they're bringing is really no different than their male counterparts. We just have to make that that transition, that phase of moving from hour, hourly out into a management role is something wise organizations should really be taking a look at. Yeah, I was just reading something yesterday that an organization found that they had this diversity initiative and a lot of women of color were coming in at the entry level, but they weren't being promoted. Mm-hmm. And what they found was that there was a huge dichotomy between the skill set that they brought to the organization and what's required at the next level. Mm-hmm. And so they implemented a training program mm-hmm. and they saw an 83% increase in the number of women That's applying incredible. for that, for that next level job. And let, let's go back to a point that you make, cause I think it's so important for those in HR to continue to remember and be reminded of this is that women sometimes need permission to promote themselves. Mm -hmm. Whereas men naturally have this ability to really Mm -hmm. put themselves out there and take the risk. Yeah. 
And so, and sometimes women think that they have to leave the organization in order to get that next promotion mm -hmm. or to really find that level that they feel that they're aspiring towards, or they know that they can perform at. They just don't think that they have the opportunity in the organization. Sometimes you just have to ask. Have to ask, let them, let them know that you're looking for that too. And, and I think a key thing for any organization that's focused on diversity initiatives and turnover is if, if you're not creating that safe culture for somebody to, to talk to their manager about what they want to see themselves doing next year or the year after, mm -hmm. you're creating turnover and you're not supporting your DEI initiatives. But guess what? You mentioned it earlier. DEI is so huge right now. If you have a young black woman on your staff who is looking for a new job title within the next couple of years, a promotion type situation, if you aren't making that happen for her in whatever way, I love the training concept. I love that mm -hmm. statistic you just shared. Um, but if you are not doing it, someone's looking for her. I'll and guarantee you that. Her. Yes, yeah. they will. And mm -hmm. you know what? She, somebody at some point is going to tell her what she's worth. Mm -hmm. And that she does have potential and that she can ascend in the organization. Because, you know, when you look at an individual who typically is successful, there's a personality trait, but there's mm -hmm. also ambition. Mm -hmm. And when I coach outperformers, that's the one thing that I look for before I decide to coach anyone is do they have the ambition for mm -hmm. more? Do they want more and do they think they deserve more? And that doesn't mean yeah. that they're, they're, you know, it, it's not at that point about humility or, um, mm -hmm. or even thinking that they're better than anyone. They just need to have that inside of them. Yeah. I'll tell you a little story. Probably 20 years ago, I was having, you know, back when we only did annual reviews with, right, with, right. with a, a VP of HR that I had a great relationship with, and he was going through this, this, and the review was going very well. Um, but I could kind of catch this tone that, you know, he was just praising me for what I was doing. Mm. And, you know, I, I unfortunately didn't come up in an era where girls were treated the same as boys. But right. at the end of my review, he said, is there anything you want to say to me? And it took every ounce of courage I had in me. And I said, you know, I am an ambitious person. Ooh. And it took a lot, but it was that he, I think he felt like I was excelling in my job. And so, boy, she must right. be very happy. Right. And no, I, I, I am happy, but also I would like to see what's next. And that doesn't I, mean that you're content. Right. Correct. And so how did he respond to that? Well, a little bit surprised, sure. but um, again, I had a great relationship and I would say it was probably within a couple of days. Um, he found the opportunity to just sit down and say, you know, you brought this up. So let's, let's map out what that looks like. And it actually, I think I surprised a lot of people when I said, I'll relocate. Really? Wow. You know, just the, the concept that a woman would be willing to pack herself up and move to a, a new region of the country um, all alone. I think they just presumed I wouldn't want to do that. And I, I said yes to the next opportunity that was from Ohio to Maryland. And I never looked back. <laughs> wow. That's a great story. Yeah. And a great yeah. story of courage. You know, um, women do need the courage to, right. to ask and to put the, put the foot forward and say guess, sometimes. Yeah. And the point is I shouldn't have had to say that, right? Like you he should have asked me and I, I hope, I hope that we're here now, but that could be some management training opportunities too within the organization is what are you actually, when you're having your one-on-ones with your folks, can you walk out of there knowing what their career goals are? 
Right. Right. And not be offended, right? Because a lot of, there's a lot of ego that occurs at the executive level. And we have to set that aside as executive leaders and say, you know what? It is my job and my honor to be able to develop these people, Mm -hmm. both for the organization and for themselves. And Correct. align them to the strategy. So that that's that's your fundamental job as mm-hmm. an executive and as a leader. Most definitely. So, so when we think, so we have a lot of individuals from HR that are listening, and a lot of them want to continue to ascend in the mm-hmm. organization. And I suspect, like you, HR houses some of the most incredible talent yeah. within an organization. They have such fantastic transferable skills. They're great leaders. They know exactly how to live the culture of the organization and bring the best out in others. You know, there's even some CHROs that are being considered for CEO positions today. I'm not surprised. So for that HR audience, what advice would you give them if they're trying to ascend or expand their sphere of influence or acquire Mm -hmm. new skills? How can they maybe blend more strategic thinking with driving results, maybe as it relates to recruiting? Sure. Um, well, I would say I would say first of all, and and recruiting is is definitely kind of like its own lane in the HR world. But um, one of the best experiences I ever had that I think took me from, you know, a five to a nine. If you were doing a scale of ten in HR, is having an opportunity in one of the organizations I was with to really work cross departmentally. So to take, because, you know, organizations are siloed. And then at one point I found myself in an organization that was about as opposite of siloed as anything could ever be. Mm. And I had opportunity, it was in the hospitality field. Um, I had opportunity to sit in with facilities maintenance. I had opportunity to sit in with the IT tech support people. I had opportunity to sit in with food and beverage staff and the chefs and I could go on. Um, To this day, I reference so much knowledge that I got from the opportunity to to not just be there's HR over there, but to sit in these meetings and learn how, you know, the heating and cooling system of a very large building worked. Yeah. And and I and you you mentioned recruiting, and I like I say I, I said I pulled on this stuff still to this day because I have such a deeper understanding. But from a higher level strategic HR. It's, it's so powerful within the organization mm-hmm. when those of us who really are dealing with the people across the board have a good understanding of what they do. It also makes us more accepted as we have to step into interactions with, you know, management because of now we have a new performance management system. Let me talk to you about it. Um, you know, they, they know we're interested in what they're doing. Right. Totally admit I'm in a software as a service company now. So some of that stuff is like, but, right, right. but um, I can, I can tell you how that HVAC system works. So. There you go. There you, well, it lends to credibility, right? Right. I mean, how exactly. do you have the right to come tell me how to lead my organization or right. inspire my people or generate a culture if you really don't know what the jobs are? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Throw them at me. All right, here we go. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Oh, this is a very profound one for me. Um, Silence. So I have begun 
seeking opportunities to find silence. Um, I can't remember the title of the book, but I read a book a few years ago that talked about the power of boredom and how boredom, as we see it, um, actually helps to rewire our brain and helps it kind of clean out. It's a little bit like sleep, helps it clean out a lot of the clutter. And um, I'm fortunate. I live on a small farm. And so when I have the opportunity to take any kind of mini break during the day, Mm -hmm. I walk outside. I don't have electronics. I don't have earbuds. I just walk outside. I might even do like a menial chore or something. When I'm home alone, there's no radio or television. It's silence. Mm -hmm. And I really have felt myself become a much less stressed person by embracing silence. I love that. I've Mm -hmm. never heard that before. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've made in your career? Okay. That's, that's another one that's kind of like, um, best, most, most worthwhile investment I've made in my career is mentoring. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I definitely would say I had good mentors early on in my career. I could have used more, but it wasn't, I think as much a thing during my, you know, I guess the last 20 years of my career, I've been very active in looking for people who were interested in somebody to help lift them up to the next level. Um, Frankly, I've mentored HR pros and I've mentored people completely outside of the arena, just where are you in life? Let's get you to where you want to be kind of thing. And it's really empowering when you start to see the change that happens in people when somebody's just saying, hey, you know what? My job here is to be your person. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm your person. There's, I get nothing out of this, but what growth and an opportunity comes for you and what well-being comes for you. And for me personally, it's brought such a sense of satisfaction and well-being and, 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 and you know, really good feelings that I'm doing something right in this life uh, because there are people, I think there's probably 10 or 12 people that if you mentioned my name, they'd say she mentored me. Mm-hmm. I love that. What's the biggest challenge the industry is facing today? And I would say the HR industry. I think that this has been happening for maybe a, a bit. And I almost see that, that um, we may become a broader scope of HR than, you know, where people kind of are even more specialized. So many companies are switching to focusing on HR with analytics. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of us is focused on culture. And I think both are incredible. And of course, by the way, we're still doing all the payroll and stuff. <laughs> Keeping both the are incredible and running. Yeah. yeah, both are incredible and powerful things. But how do you avoid one taking over the other? How do you marry them? to get truly the best results because analytics can just look like that really cold. Mm-hmm. These are the numbers. The numbers prove things out where you pe- people who are really focused on culture are saying, but your employees are not engaged. Mm-hmm. So where's the disconnect? And I think, you know, keeping, keeping both at an even pace with the other and not letting one override the other mm-hmm. is probably a big challenge that, that we all need to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. 
What company do you study as a best practice in HR for company culture? For company culture, I um, I kind of stay in the in the SaaS industry. Mm-hmm. So companies that that get really great cultural ratings, like best places to work type insignias, like GitHub, Slack, Mailchimp, um, they're good organizations for me to go to as far as like who's bringing what to the table and who's doing what that's keeping their top performers satisfied and attracting the new best talent. That advice though is going to apply industry to industry. I think one of the things that that employers remember a few years back when everybody's like, well, we can't be Google, you know, right. See how that worked out. (laughs) Um, But if you're in healthcare, what, GitHub and MailChimp are doing is probably not going to align with what you need. If you're in higher ed, you might be able to offer free tuition, free tuition for the family. That's not something that iHire can offer. If you're in manufacturing, a lot of the workplace flexibility type things aren't going to come into play. But when you see, you know, best places to work in manufacturing, what are they doing? You have to sort of make sure it aligns with what you do, because if not, there's certain things you're just going to throw your hands up and say, you know, we can't be them because we can't right. have people work remotely. Well, what other, well, who's, who's offering what? Because somebody's out there winning and that's who you want to look to for your, for your guidance. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's a golden ticket right there. How do you advise HR get the credibility and place at the table they so deserve? Well, boy, um, there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, first of all, we're not HR of yesteryear. Um, we do, as as I mentioned earlier, we do have to we do have to do the day to day task oriented stuff, the compliance things, the onboarding, offboarding. You know that's there, but um, we need to be defining ourselves, and we need to be doing so strategically as far as what happens to the bottom line when HR is performing well, when HR is doing their job well, and how organizations are best going to capitalize on that. And, you know, it, I, I think how you do that, it's really going to depend on where you're starting. Mm-hmm. I've walked into organizations where the culture was um, really poor, turnover was high. And in a, in a situation like that, you kind of have to start with the numbers. You know, what is the cost of turnover? Sit down and do the math and take it to leadership and say, I think if I had a, our cost of turnover last year, for example, was, you know, $280,000. But if I had a budget of 50, I could really reduce that and Mm -hmm. save you a lot of money. So Mm -hmm. if that's where the organization is, and, you know, then the next step, the company that's doing okay, but maybe they don't have any diversity, et cetera. It's bringing to them like, what, what is going to benefit here? Where are we going to win by having this? And then finally, you know, you have that high performing organization, but why aren't we shooting for the stars? And here's some ideas and suggestions. There has to be a positive outcome or you're not going to earn credibility. So you have to put the work in, but you have to, you know, as we say in, in mentoring, you have to meet them where they are yes. and form, formulate your plan from there. Yes. I, I think that is such sound advice because I think a lot of times HR feels shafted at the table, mm-hmm. but I think the C-suite looks to them and says, okay, what ideas are you bringing to the table to fix what our pain points right. are today? Right. And then come back to the table and tell them about your successes. You know, that that's where I always see the communication loop is left open 
mm-hmm. and they never get the credit that they deserve because they right. need to come back to the table and share their successes. Yeah. The respect comes after the results. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. HR, there's your biggest tip for the day. <laughs> well, and, and so that leads into my, my last question. What's the one key takeaway that you'd leave with our audience today? One key takeaway to leave with the audience, um, you know, keep trying, keep an eye on who, who you look like to the population, whether it's your internal workforce or the candidates you're trying to draw in, you know, just, just keep trying new things. There's no right way to do everything. The world's evolving so fast, right? Um, you know, I, I stated earlier, I think some, some statistics from 2019, and that feels like so long ago and things have changed so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we have to be able to keep adapting and changing as we go along with what our practices are to be able to come out on the winning side of being an employer and attracting top talent. We do. And HR is at the forefront today. And now's the opportunity. You have the stage. You're there if you want it. Mm -hmm. Do something with it and take your organization to new heights. Um, They're ready for you. They're completely ready for you. How can our audience find out more about you and your company? Well, first of all, um, my company website is www.ihire.com. We do have an employer, like HR services page tab that tells you a little bit more about what um, I do and what we do. Other than that, my LinkedIn profile is um, out there and you can definitely look me up, see what my background is and contact me that way if you're interested in just chatting more. Fantastic. Kristen, it has been such a pleasure to have you. Same. Anytime. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already left a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'd really appreciate it. If you have any feedback or questions about the show, drop them in the comments wherever you listen or email podcast at hrmorning.com. To find me, go to bertaaldrich.com or send me a message on LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more. Voices of HR.